Hear now the word of the Lord. Our reading this morning for the sermon comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father God, we come before you this morning. Please feed us from your word through the power of the Spirit so that we might be partakers of Christ this morning, not just through the sacrament of the bread and the wine, but through also the preaching of the word. May we partake in Christ through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We forget about it. But there was a time, there was a moment in the past where the whole earth was absolutely beautiful, absolutely good, that humanity itself was made holy in his image, and and, uh, God had created a role for us, a place of honor and prestige with him as co-laborers. But there was a vulnerability within God's creation, and the vulnerability was our own human heart that is prone when wrongfully used by us to prefer the slithery shadows of life rather than the shimmering glory from the gift of heaven. And in foolishness, our first parents stopped heeding the wisdom and the word of God and set their own course, removing God, God's word as their guiding light and embracing godless wisdom. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, in many ways, is a chapter that warns us of the ongoing struggle of the New Testament church. It will be a struggle that we will have in shunning God's wisdom and His Word. We will struggle with the world's wisdom. And these verses will make clear, if we abide in the Spirit of God... If we allow God to dwell in us richly, we will be a people most uniquely prepared for all seasons of life. You know, one of the realities of married life is that it means that I am committed to answering certain questions in the relationship I enjoy with my wife. For instance, she just told me I need to tuck in my shirt. All right, but the questions are, you know, what are you going to do today? Why are you going to do that? Well, well, what are we going to do together? Do you have time for this? Do you have time for that? And there is a sense in which when we receive God through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves into our hearts and he asks us similar questions. What are you going to do today, my child? Why, Why are you doing that? How about us? What about our relationship? Why don't we do this instead? Right? Are you really still planning to, to think that kind of way? 
so on and so forth. And the, so there is a sense in these opening verses, in verses 15 and 16, and really continuing onward, that the Spirit of God asks us to be mindful of the things we do. There is no lying to the Spirit of God as well, and we can't offer false motives. We're capable of lying to anyone, everyone, except God. God's Word tells us in verses 15 and 16, He wants us to walk carefully, not as unwise, but as wise. You know, one of my daughters recently, and I'm going to allow her to remain nameless, Monica, um, <clears throat> for this illustration, has been... Um, She's figured out in her own mind lately that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And so we've been going to places, right, Monica, like Costco, and she just bolts out the car and just starts walking in the parking lot, really with no mind uh, for her surroundings. And so we've been at a few places, and at first I kind of... Monica, don't do that. And then she's, she kind of picked up this habit, and she's doing it a little more. And so what happened last time we were finally leaving Costco? She got the daddy lecture, right? Monica, you can't just walk like that out in a parking lot. You're not tall enough. The cars can't see you. You're not being mindful. Are these cars pulling out? Are they pulling in? You're going to get hurt if you continue on like that. She, wasn't, she was walking, in a sense, without wisdom. And I will, I will admit, Monica, you haven't done it since. So good job. Good job. Now, does that mean my daughter is cured? Does that mean that I'm cured of the same problem, of sometimes not walking in wisdom, not heeding the direction that I am going? No, of course not. And yet, sure enough, because I live with her and I love her, if she does it yet again, we're going to have to go over it once more. Well, this is, in one sense, a little bit like what the Word of God is telling us here in these verses today. This is, in one sense, the parking lot speech of God. The Holy Spirit wants to help us be more mindful. And verse 16 makes clear, God wants us to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Now, when we read that in the Word of God... Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. When you think about the days being evil, what do you think about? What do you tend to think about? You think about those headlines? Those like stories, those news articles that get us frustrated in the early morning? We stammer and scoff at? The worst tragedies of the world, the grossest examples of evil, the darkest corners of society. Is that what you think about? But let's just speak honestly for a moment. Does that really fit the passage? Is that the kind of evil the Apostle Paul is really putting into focus here? No, actually, the days being evil is connected to the thought before it. It's connected to us making the best use of the time we've been given. And so our days being evil is far more personal of a request by Paul than we want to admit. We are a people often prone to waste time because we are tempted by, we are entertained by, we are motivated by sinful patterns of thoughts and desires. We have no problem finding ways to be inefficient or stubbornly resistant to the Lord's leading. So when God's word here tells us basically that we as Christians need to basically buy back our time, 
because the days are evil, it's not so much to do with the headlines. The headlines don't usually tend to affect how I conduct my way of life. No, the point is we need to resist the often temptations that reside in here in our hearts, in here in our minds. We need to buy back more of the the good things that the Lord desires for us in our hearts and in our minds and embrace less of investing our hearts and minds into pitiful thoughts, into pitiful things and ungodly desires and ungodly things. We as a people are often people of routines and patterns that are hard to break, especially as we grow older. And yet God says, you, you want to be in a pattern of constantly evaluating the time you spend and buy back more of it for good and glorious purposes. Because if we're not careful, our time will quickly be sapped away by wasteful things because the days are evil. The temptations around us are a great many. Often we'll have these moments where we're upset about the state of things in our life. We begin calling out to God, God, fix this. God, change this. God, improve that. And yet, very rarely do we include a time component into it of our own investment. God, because I want this to be changed can you, help, can you help make me more efficient now how I'm using my time? Will you help prevent me from wasting it in such ways? So therefore, as the next verse continues on, because the days are evil and we are often found wasteful of our time, we are not to be foolish, but to understand what the will of our Lord is. I love how John Calvin simplified verse 17. He pointed out for the mature Christian, when we really make it a point to understand the things of God... We find an ability to triumph over difficulties that others struggle with. For instance, I'm sure many of us have heard about the stages of grief. Calvin would say, however many stages of grief there are, it matters not. For the mature Christian, the more time we invest in God, the more God is going to make efficient our time. Allow us to skip certain prolonged seasons of struggle. We won't get hung up on the same kinds of things that often others get hung up on. We're going to have more mature patterns of understanding how to live this life. Do you remember when it was hard to crack an egg in your youth? I remember my German grandmother teaching me how to crack an egg. We were, I think, making brownies or something together. And you, you, what happens when you first start learning to crack an egg? The shells, Right? And then you kind of have to learn how to dig out those shells with the fork, and it, it seems impossible at first to scoop it up. And, and in one sense, what's, what John Calvin's point is, is that the more we mature in our walk with God, the less the shells, first off, will get into the mix of life. The less the shells will become a bother or a concern. But also, the more that we understand about God the less and less those shells will undo us. Because we still crack. I just cracked an egg the last week, and it just like exploded immediately in my hand. Sometimes that still happens, but that doesn't affect us as much.
The more we understand the nature of cracking an egg, the less and less we find ourselves having to grab that fork and fishing it out. Moses experienced what I'm talking about quite a bit in his life. Here, Moses knew where God was leading the people. And the people knew where God was leading them. God was leading them to the promised land. Yet, so many out in the wilderness, they did what? They complained. They complained about God. They complained about Moses. They complained about the circumstances they had been placed in. They continued to look at the mixing bowls of life and find eggshell after eggshell after eggshell after eggshell. More than was ever necessary. But the more we commit ourselves to God, the less frequent and the less of a setback an occasional eggshell becomes. Do you have any eggshells that have been pestering you lately in your life for far too long? And if I can ask a follow-up question, do you have slots of time where you've been wasteful and worldly, where you could buy back more time to to invest richly in, in God in order to deal with the eggshells? If my own grandmother would help me grab the eggshell out of the mix... If she knew to do that, how much more if we go to God in the eggshells of life, will he be readily willing to help deal with that and help scoop up those things that trouble us? A day is coming where there will be no more broken eggs and scattered shells in life. And so we want to invest in the one who's going to make that come to pass. And so... This passage so far has asked us to be soberly minded in one sense with our relationship with God to continue to invest more time in it. And so it shouldn't surprise us what comes next. Do not get drunk with wine, it says, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And at first that just sounds like a rope command that deals only with the liquor store section at Landis. But there's a lot more being said here. But let's deal with the more obvious application first. A good translation of this verse in the Greek is, would be, don't get sauced with wine, or don't get soaked with wine. Notice it doesn't outright say, you can't drink wine, or wine should never touch your lips. That would be like the Nazarite vow. Now, some of you maybe have decided to not drink wine in your lifetimes, and that's a great thing. I'm not here to argue against that. But this passage is not a prohibition against drinking wine. However, on the other hand, Uh, we should consider, if we are somebody who is prone to getting sauced with wine, then we shouldn't really partake in it because of our relationship with God. And so for some Christians, it's going to be wiser to have no relationship with alcohol than an ongoing one because the temptation is too great. It's better to cut it off together because drunkenness can lead to debauchery. But... This whole passage is really about our life with the Spirit. And the passage says, even the verse says at the end of it, be filled with the Spirit, the passage says. And so there's still more to it than it first seems. The passage isn't just a desire for us not to overdo it with red wine, for instance. Paul is using drunkenness as an illustration of the earlier darkness he was talking about. Allowing ourselves to get drunk is allowing ourselves to be handed over to a general reckless state of mind. 
This is where maybe the police officer with the citation pad can help us. If I was sauced on wine and the police officer pulls me over, he's going to arrest me, he's going to write a citation for reckless endangerment. But are there other things that can get me a ticket for reckless endangerment in the police officer's pad? No pad? Of course. How about playing on the cell phone, being distracted in the car? There are other things that can lead to a state of general recklessness and state of mind. When dealing with cars, cell phones can. Not keeping your eyes on the roads can. Hand on wheels can. Trying to do several things at once can. There's a lot of options. And that's the greater principle Paul is articulating here. And it's illustrated by a drunk, but not only illustrated by the drunk. The drunk is someone who's lost resistance to say no to bad ideas. There are plenty of temptations in the world that can make us struggle to resist bad ideas that don't do anything with alcohol, have nothing to do with alcohol. And such things can lead to darkness. So rather be filled with the Spirit, the passage says. And what happens when we're filled with the Spirit? We begin addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now I want you to focus on the first part of that verse. We begin addressing one another. Especially because if you read books or often have heard other pastors talk about this, often this becomes the moment where you first and foremost talk about the music ministry of the church, which we will. We'll all mention it really quickly. But that's not the main idea behind this verse. When we begin addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, I want us first to think back upon the drunk. Let's imagine a drunk individual leaving the sports, sporting event and their team has just won, what is the drunk song going to be? Some mindless, pointless song, you know, fly, eagles, fly on the road, of it, you know, that really has no eternal value. It has no eternal value. What's the drunk going to sing leaving after a loss? Oh, they're terrible. you got to fire the coach. This sort of thing. They're going to be singing about that sort of thing. This passage has a lot to do with how we address situations. For the drunkard, for those who have not given their mind to the sober reality of being filled with the Spirit, their mind is unprepared for both to say an appropriate word both in celebration and in sorrow. Whereas the Spirit-filled individual, the Spirit-filled individual has the words, because they have God's word to celebrate the goodness of God. They have meaningful, weighty words to offer. Especially the more they invest in God. And yet also, what about sorrow? You know, what's, what's the first kind of song that's mentioned in that passage? First kind of state song. What is it? There's three categories. What's the first one given? Psalms. What's the most popular kind of song? It's a lament song. God, I don't like this. I don't like what's happening. I'm not happy about it. But I have you and I trust you and I know that you're good and I know you love me. So it's going to be okay. Being a spirit-filled believer is having words for every moment. 
Words for every situation. Words of value, both in the sorrow and in the joy. Both in the love and the lament. And so the question becomes for us, what are the words we have in those moments? Are we the drunk with pithy, weightless things to offer unto the world? Or do we have the blessing of having spirit-filled, heavy words in which to rest in and to renew others, to share with others? This whole chapter has been talking about us and even called us to be children of the light. This is what chapter 5 of Ephesians has been calling us to be. And so we are to strive to be children of the light, filled with the Spirit, that have something great to say when it happens in the Lord, and always a word of praise for the Lord, even in seasons of lament. We are not to be filled offering pointless words that carry no weight unto the Lord. God's word is saying there is a sense in which the more the Spirit fills up our lives, the more we'll have words for the music of life in all seasons and how we talk to one another. Verse 19 doesn't mean we'll respond to one another as if we're always in a musical, like if we watch you know, Sound of Music or Fiddler on the Roof. But it means a life richly invested with God will be able to bless others during the, even the difficult moments. That's why as another round of closures will be debated in our society in the next coming months. And, and I encourage you, as I've encouraged the congregation all along, yeah, in matters of health, it is your own personal decision of how you feel God is leading you to live. And uh, hopefully we'll have the streaming issues dealt with by then, but... There has to be a continued commitment to have a place here at this church open for the public where people can offer and receive better words in whatever moments of life we find ourselves in, whether it is the somber solo or the rich communal chorus, because the Holy Spirit loves to give us new songs to sing. And we want to be a community, finding ways to further investing in singing with one another and singing to one another in such moments. And yes, that deals in part with hopefully supporting the piano fundraiser that we're doing right now. That, what a wonderful thing to invest in a piano fundraiser. I mean, I think of just all the services piano has provided for weddings, for funerals, for, for services here, for special occasions, to be able to invest in that. How many people have had a richer understanding of the gospel through those songs being sung. I, I love Barbara Stuffer, how excited you are when you raised your hand in order to offer, I think it was 447 for us this morning. I could see the, the excitement for it because songs connect to us. And we are to be a community that understands the importance of singing. Even God's word at times commands us to sing when others won't. Here in this place, we have an opportunity to make a better melody, to make a better song than those singing in drunkenness and in darkness. So awake from the drunken stupors of life. You know, there's that amazing scene in Acts chapter 16. It's it's one of my favorite in all the New Testament. 
Here we have Paul and Silas, and it's midnight. And they are seen in a prison cell. I mean, I remember recently when we uh, took a vacation, we're in the RV, and the kids were like rambunctious at like 11 at night. And I think they were also singing and stuff. And what, what happens usually when somebody's singing that late? What, what do you say? Quiet! Quiet! Why are you singing right now? Nobody's supposed to be singing right now. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're not supposed to be singing right now. And there's this Philippian jailer there. And I mean, to be a jailer in the ancient world is to be a person who looks at a job description and says, yeah, I'm okay with torture. Sounds good. I can do that for a living. I can torture people. And so here this Philippian jailer is hearing this singing, and he must just be so annoyed. I'm sure he had beaten them earlier. Oh, and just, these people will not be quiet. And then all of a sudden, an earthquake breaks out. A massive earthquake. And there's silence. And I know I remember the Northridge earthquake when I was a kid uh, <clears throat> happening. That was a serious earthquake. My room was shaking. My mom comes running in. Kevin, are you awake? I couldn't say anything because I was so scared. It took me like three minutes. She had already left the room. Three minutes to finally scream out, yeah, I'm awake. That was terrifying. And, and they're stunned silent. And the Philippian jailer just assumes he's lost the prisoners. The song has stopped. They're on their way. They've run away. And the crime for losing a prisoner as a jailer is the death penalty. And Paul knowing this, Paul knowing and understanding what the drunken world song is, cries out, don't, don't hurt yourself basically, we're here. We have not left, we remain here. And all of a sudden the Philippian jailer, who had probably just moments earlier been thinking how annoying that song is to them, him, runs in and asks about salvation. How can I have the song that you sing? And of course he was baptized. He his entire household that evening. And he no longer cared if Paul and Silas walked away because his life was now dedicated to a new song, not the world song, not the Roman rules, but he had a new song that he had been become a partaker in. The songs we offer in life, both literally and metaphorically, will change people. I know I'm not the only one here who has been moved to tears through song. I know I'm not the only one here who has been moved to tears to hear someone still able to say and to proclaim and praise their God in hard times of sorrow. And so in following the pattern of this passage in the Spirit of God, we want to be people investing ourselves more richly into the things of God, to be able to sing such songs into all matters of life. Not to drink down the beverage of the world that numbs our lips. We want to be found receivers of the better life-giving words. Too often we're drunk on things of the world. And that's not the call of the Christian. The call of the Christian is to understand that while we live in a world with a great many doorways. And a great many places where we can allow ourselves to be soaked in garbage and sauced. There is only one doorway of ultimate importance in the end of all things. And that door is the door to the Father's house, a mansion with many rooms. And we are to take great care in not neglecting the promptings of the Holy Spirit, whose desire is to wisely lead us there. 
We are to take great care to honor the Son by striving to live in obedience to His Holy Word rather than the darkened philosophies and preferences of the world. We are to be found singing when the world is not, not in tune with the world, but to a beat of a different drum and to praise the one who made it in all and every season. So how is our singing voice today, Christian? Are there addictions and patterns of life that we are drunk on, which have not helped us to live faithfully for the Lord? Let us be soberly minded and found always singing a unique tune of praise to him as we appreciate the sun's rise for our sake and for our salvation. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, as we heard even in Sunday school, help us to be filled and to be renewed in mind through the power of your Spirit so that we might go forth as people who in the songs that we offered unto the world can change hearts through the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.